0: You guys know me. I'm Beto Gudino with Christian Podcast and we are live. Live because I love live shows. It gives me the adrenaline I need in my life. And you guys know me. I have a special guest to talk about healing racial trauma. Is there any involvement maybe even in ethnicity when it comes to healing racial trauma. You know, I'm Mexican, so today I want to figure out a little bit of this sentiment that I have inside of me as an immigrant in the United States. I'll tell you a little bit of my story as I get to talk to our guest today. So with no further ado, here we go. All right. Sheila, how are you doing today?
1: I'm, I'm well. I'm doing fine.
0: Awesome. Okay, <laughs> what is the idea that makes you inspired?
1: Uh, well, you know what? I think that um, just coming off of this whole last couple of years of the pandemic and just all the issues that have come up around racism and the systemic nature of it and all that, um what inspires me is this since as a believer that the reality that we are all created in the image of god the imago dei and that that is something that we need to celebrate everybody's our stories are so important um, because it informs how we do life together as people of faith Uh, and so i i this topic around healing racial trauma is really important uh, because it's one where, if we don't get it right, <laughs> um, it's going to have implications um, for generations to come. And wow. as Christians, we need to be in the forefront of that. So that's my, that's what inspires me, propels me to want to address this issue of healing wounds um, in my first book, Healing Racial Trauma, and the recent one, Young Black.
0: Love it. So for that, we kick off the show with an inspired emoji, inspired emoji reaction to get us kicked off. That's so good. All right. So Sheila, I'll tell you, well, first of all, yes, I mean, I guess I'll tell you a little bit about me. I kind of mentioned as we were um, starting the show that I'm from Mexico. I come from a city called Guadalajara. I've been in the United States for about 17 years or so, and it's no news to people listening to the show that I'm undocumented in the United States for so many years, right? And I know my story is not that unique. I met a lot of people throughout these years who are in the same situation that I'm in, uh, or even, I, I mean... I'm going to use the word even worse than I am, you know? And so anyways, that's a little bit of myself. But would you tell us a little bit of yourself? Like, what is the type of work that you do and who you are?
1: Uh, Well, I spent close to 30 years as a therapist and uh, worked with women, children, families, uh, couples in a lot, lot of different settings, secular setting, Christian settings um uh, my husband and I and uh, two kids who are now adults uh, lived in South Africa for a decade and did ministry there. I uh, worked with women and children who were homeless and um, had dealt with abuse. And um, I do spiritual direction uh, with people. And I'm an author.
0: Oh, awesome. Thank you, Sheila. Okay, so... I mean, I have so many, so many, so many questions. But you have a book that I was reading that it's in the back of my, you know, in the back of my screen, which is called Young, Gifted, and Black. And as I was reading it, you know, you you mentioned a few of the stories of, I guess, people you have talked with and counseled throughout the the years. And then you mentioned a few stories that are epic, right? Like you mentioned... Um, what was his name? The guy that played uh, Marvel, the the Black Panther. I forgot his name right now, but he passed away due to cancer.
1: Chadwick Chadwick Boseman. Chadwick
0: yes. Boseman. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, a few of the epic stories, and I think I want to bring a few of the ones I've heard, too. But I love this phrase you used in the book. That is this one. You said, if you don't like someone else's story, write... Your own. So, I mean, that was already epic on the book, but what are the stories that you're hearing that you don't like that you think we need to change these stories, rewrite them even?
1: Yeah, well, you know what? I think that the challenge right now is that there's an attempt to rewrite stories, to Mm. rewrite history, to ignore history or minimize what happened. There's a lot of Talk about critical race theory and just this belief that somehow, if we actually look at the past and understand it, that somehow that is going to, I don't know what it's going to do, actually. Um, But there's a lot of fear. Um, There's this whole replacement theory um, that Black and brown people are going to replace white people. Um, And so there's a fear of looking at that because the reality is America hasn't really looked at that. And so people, in the looking at it, what comes up for them is shame. Um, and so, in order to avoid that, they're going—you know—will suppress that, will rewrite the history. Well, the history books have been rewritten and slanted all of these years. And so, the challenge is—you know—do we actually confront the past, which I believe is biblical, um, in order to move forward? And um, I just think a lot of people are are coming and being very vocal about how they don't want to do that. And they don't want to look at the, look at the past in order so that we can all move forward.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. So in the past, when I think of the country I'm from, I think of colonization, Mm -hmm. and maybe I can think of discrimination. Yeah. Um, A little bit of that, right? But Okay, so I said I've been in the U.S. for about 17 years, undocumented. And it really is shocking to me to witness what America is going through. You know, I don't know if I I haven't been in any other country other than Mexico and the U.S., right? And I mean, you, you have experience going to South Africa, helping people there. And, you know, I mean, probably epic stories from what you witnessed there. But it really pains me and and hurts me to be in this nation that in a sense maybe I was glorifying when I used to live in Mexico. I always thought, oh, the United States is amazing. It's I mean, when I would come and visit when I was younger, I've always and I mean I think it's still a great nation. I'm here, right? I'm not <laughs> I'm not undocumented in another country. Um so I like this place. But it does have like this massive um racial issue going on right and so like i said i i i know from my own experience in mexico okay yeah we we dealt with colonization but i think we we started dealing with it earlier than maybe the u.s has started their own no healing process in a sense Mm -hmm. so i think the 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 trauma that maybe Mexicans or people, indigenous people. I think it's there's still some of that, right? But for example, yes, absolutely. Somebody yeah. was telling me, "Beto, what are you?" When you know, I was doing an event and there were a lot of kids, and I'm like, "What? What do you mean? What are you?" And he wanted me to say almost like, "Are you white? Are you yeah. like what are you?" Right? And I said, "What? What kind of question is that?" And I said, "I'm a I'm mixed," because in Mexico we have this almost like a term for a race that it's a mestizo, which is um, a little bit of everything because that happened like 500 years ago. So uh, to this point, I don't know if my roots go back all the way to Europe or they just go back to a little bit of a indigenous in me. I'm sure I have indigenous indigenous in me. But it seems like here in America, the, the divide has been uh, more eminent and more provident. So what do you think of of that? Like is What is the, how do you feel about like the racial tensions in America specifically? You know, do you think that's that's? I mean, I think it's real. But what's your vantage point when it comes to America specifically?
1: Well, I I'm born here. I'm African American. I my parents grew up in the South. Immigrated to the North. I'm in Massachusetts right now. Um, I personally experienced a lot. I went through the whole. Phase of um, court-mandated busing uh, in mm-hmm. in Boston, and so I've witnessed things firsthand. I witnessed things in terms of how my parents experienced it, how I later experienced it as an adult, and with my kids. Um, one of the things that from my first book, Healing Racial Trauma, was that I I interviewed a, a diverse group of people there, there's a woman, um, Lisa, who's um, from Colombia, and there is um, there's a South African woman, and there's an Asian man, and um, African Americans, and, um, and the theme of racism that runs through all of that, Asian as well, um, and and I think that it came out in 2020, and it came out at a pivotal time when everything was bubbling to the surface, and and I think that for some groups who may have been under the radar. Because of things like COVID, shut things shutting down, the whole, you know, things that Trump was saying about the China virus, all that, all it just exposed a lot of things that were hidden or weren't as open, um, and and so, I, I want to say this is not new, so mm. it's this has been pervasive and it's not just a black and white issue, um, it's a black, white, and brown issue, and. Um, and until we reconcile and deal with the bat, the, the past, um, there's not going to be a huge amount of forward movement
0: mm-hmm. on a
1: massive scale. That's my personal belief. Mm-hmm.
0: So when you think of uh, looking at the past, uh, what are the specifics?
1: Well, I, I mean, I think that if you look at every single group, there are issues, whether it was indigenous, um, you know, the, the genocide that happened, you looking at the person in my story who in my book um, is Japanese ancestry. Now they received some level of reparations. Was it fair reparations? Not really, but they received something. Um, and then, you know, you're, you're looking at how or when the Chinese came over initially, what they, they faced, um, what my ancestors faced, um, they were enslaved. And, um, and so those, those experiences, uh, may feel like, oh, that was way in the past, but what has been shown is that there's a way in which this stuff, this trauma trickles down into current generations. And, and these are current generations that are having their own kinds of experiences, whether they're experiencing barriers in the workplace, access to medical care, um, a lot of that was exposed during COVID. Uh, their systemic racism is real. The data is there. This is not people making up stuff and pretending that it's not there. It's there. There's redlining. There's, um, you know, I can go on and on. Okay, so yeah. So it's, it's, yeah. Oh,
0: you were going to say, keep on.
1: Well, it's, it, it isn't anything new. And anybody who is living on, on the ground in the communities can tell you the realities of, you know, everything from how, who lives near the dump um who has toxic you know flint still doesn't have clean water i mean so i i find it amazing for people that people will fix their mouths to say that it doesn't exist when in reality it does and i feel like as believers um even more so we're there's a level of accountability in terms of our needing to really walk in what is true um and to and to confront that and like, where do we bring like the truth and the love of Jesus in the midst of the ways in which people are suffering and, and when they literally are suffering, rather than to figure out our narrative of how we want to not have to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't understand where that comes from. Because at the end of the day, Jesus, he sa- says, you know what? they're like well when did we see you naked when were you in jail and he was like when you did that for the least of them you did it for me so anyway i'm gonna stop wow
0: no that's good that i mean that's so good uh when you did it for them you did it to him i feel like wow i have so many questions but i want to as you were talking about you know what jesus did it brings me back to the word and I don't want to tackle this right now because I have another idea, but I don't want to also miss it. And I just want to throw it in there even to almost like entice people to keep on listening because I want to challenge a little bit of the conception of what the Bible says about certain things um, when it comes to healing our racial trauma, right? So for example, I was reading Proverbs and there's this phrase in Proverbs 12. It says, work hard and become a leader. Be lazy and become a slave, right? That could be shocking for a lot of people. That could be almost like traumatizing, I would say. You know, be lazy and become a slave. And again, I want to tackle this in a little bit, but uh, Sheila, I want to tell you about an experience I had not too long ago, maybe a few months ago, maybe even during, 20, I don't know if it was 2021 or 2020, but it was... um. You're a counselor, you know, so I feel like like in a sense in this podcast, I'm I'm kind of like letting you know a few things about me that hopefully maybe in the end you're going to, ho- I think, you know, maybe refresh me um, because you, I feel like, I mean, you know so many stories and I'm really hoping maybe for a word that will heal my own wounds, you know, so this is going to be a very open podcast, it's not so much about Uh, Give me this information. It's a little bit more personal and intimate, I would say. Um, So a few months ago, whenever it was, you know, whether it was 2020 or 2021, like I said, I've been experiencing um, living in the United States as undocumented for so many years. And during the night, I don't know if it was like 3 a.m., 4 a.m., I felt like an overwhelming pain. Like an overwhelming, um, even right now, you know, I feel like so emotional. I wanted to, I was crying, I was bawling. It was the middle of the night and I was shedding tears. And almost like this, I don't know if it was like the voice of God or my brain or a little bit of both. But I was hearing this sentiment of the pain the world has experienced. I was experiencing right there and then. Like, all the all the mistreatings, all the slavery, all the telling jokes on somebody, all the bullying, all the putting people down, like, all those, like, bad emotions that we have towards another person because we think we're superior or whatever. I was feeling the pain, and it was so real, and it was almost like God was telling me, um... I want you to experience this because you're not unique in this world Mm -hmm. in terms of experiencing pain. There's a lot of people that have experienced this. And then I think that gave me a way more, a whole lot more of empathy. So for example, Mm. I think of going back to my country a lot and I haven't been able to do, I haven't been able to see my brother in 17 years. Right, because he lives in Mexico. He was deported under Obama, and whatever. Right, I mean that's that's almost like a whole other story. But there's a pain that I'm carrying that I haven't been able to see family freely, and I see other people traveling and meeting with friends and family and whatnot, and almost taking it for granted. So a few months ago, one of our our previous neighbors, uh, her brother passed away in Mexico. Same thing. She couldn't go say bye to her brother. And it was almost like that pain that she was feeling. I felt it that night. You know, that feeling of I can't see my family. I'm in this country trying to you know, have a better life for my family. And the family I left behind, they're gone. If I ever come back, they're not there anymore. You know, and recently her husband just Passed away. Now she's a widow with two kids here in the U.S. And now he's she's raising money to go back to Mexico and now finally live there. Uh, so all that pain—it was almost like God saying, "Your pain is 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 nothing compared to that." You know, imagine the pain of losing your husband, the the source of protection and provision for your household, and now it's gone in a different land, in a land that's not yours, in a sense. Uh, with all these emotions of all the people you lost. And I can only imagine when she goes back to Mexico and maybe their friends are not there. Maybe the people she knew are not there. Life changed, right? In 20 years, <laughs> it's, it, everything changes. Uh, so anyways, I'm saying all of that because I feel like I need a word from you. Like, I feel like I'm almost like sitting in, <laughs> in therapy and I'm asking, she like, how do we heal from these wounds that we're carrying, especially as immigrants, maybe as, I like you said, you know, we're, we're brown, we're black, we, we had these traumas from the past. Right. How do right. we heal?
1: Yeah, yeah. You know what, I think that that kind of experience that you've had, I've, I've had those as well. I've had an experience like that. And I, I think the, the important takeaway was, was less about a comparison that there are so many other people who've had this collective, um, they've had experiences of trauma. But yes, but also that God sees what you have experienced and he's not grading it. He's not going, well, no, Pedro and the rest of the world, like they're more important. It's sort of like your mother saying, well, eat your food because there are starving children in Africa. It's like, yeah, they're there. But the reality is God sees you. And he knows what your pain is. Um, and he cares about your pain. He cares about everybody's pain. And he doesn't expect you to carry that. And there are ways in which um, he's also saying, I I know as God, I know what it's like. I know what it's like. Because when Jesus died on the cross, like he knows what it's like to, to have that kind of loss, that sense of separation. And, and scripture talks about that every, every struggle, temptation, like Jesus experienced that in the same way that we do. And so I think that it's both, and it also may be an opportunity. And it, I had an experience like that in South Africa where I felt that the Lord was saying, I want you to, to come back here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the first trip to South Africa was 2000 And um, that feeling, and I had the literal experience, I was hysterically weeping and I could not, I couldn't stop myself. I didn't understand why um, initially, Um, but later had this sense that I really had gotten in touch with the pain of the, what black South Africans had lived under apartheid for, for decades. And apartheid only lifted in nineteen ninety four and so and and it was still in operation when I was there in two thousand. It was only you know it was pretty fresh it's sort of like' six years after the civil rights movement, you know people are still carrying stuff and and the way in which people were treating um people still there was still a sense of this you know black people kind of being under and um and so i I had this sense. Yeah, there's something that God wanted me to do with that. And, um, and so in 2005, we moved there. We moved to South Africa and we were there until 2016. And so all of that is to say that, you know, part of that whole healing is that whole journey of really having this sense, this abiding sense that God is with you, that he's familiar with what it is that you've suffered. And, and it's important for you to talk about that. Yes, he knows, but talking to him, but talking to other people and really letting others into the places where you're struggling and where there's pain. Uh, and and then also, what is it that he, he might want you to do to contribute towards the conversation? So even today is a part of that. Today, part of you sharing your story is um, going to be comforting and it's going to um, be... Something that's going to touch other people, and and so, um, some who have a similar experiences you, and and maybe not. Uh, so you know that whole process of healing. It's it is for you specifically, um, but it's more than just it's more than that as well.
0: Mm, wow. Okay. So I'm I'm thinking in the work that you have done. What does healing look like? What? How can you tell a person has been healed from from racial trauma?
1: You know, the, the problem with racial trauma is that it's because we're refusing to deal with racism, there's go- it's gonna continue. And it's gonna continue in various forms and whether it's that we personally experience it or it's vicarious. And so when we're dealing with the past, there are ways in which I certainly had to do that. and In my own therapy, seeing a therapist, working through the trauma that I experienced being busted um, into all-white community um, and subsequent issues uh, but you know healing can feel like a figure eight it's kind of like you cycle in and out of things and you think oh I've done I've dealt with that only to discover there's a deeper level or you, you go around another, it looks like I'm going around this rock again but it really is um, this place where when you're ready to go deeper um, and and not that you're intentionally going. I'm not going to go deeper. Sometimes yes, but mostly it's not that. It's just that when you're emotionally ready, um, and you're you have the resources and you're able to to deal with it more, um, so that things are not as as uh, triggering and and setting you off. Um, that's a sign that that a level of healing has happened and that you're able to move on and including releasing people and not to say I'm I'm forgiving you and it's okay for you to do what you did that was okay or you can do it again that's not what we're saying with forgiveness mm-hmm. you know it's that i'm i'm letting jesus i'm letting god i'm letting god be the one who's going to bring justice in this particular way what he wants me to do about bringing justice as his his hands feet heart on this earth i need to listen and hear what that is um, but it's it's a surrender place um, but also a, uh, a still pursuing justice and equity, and sometimes it's it's about demanding repair. Uh, in that, you know, it's not okay just to do something and then say, "Well, I'm sorry," but there's damage that has occurred, and there needs to be some kind of repair. Uh, and so, um, healing is is all of that. It's coming to this place of of almost full resolution, but maybe not. Totally, um, I talk about how you know a lot of racism, and you know a lot of it's around loss, and whether it's loss of identity, um, you know, maybe literal, literal, tangible loss, and that we're grieving, and so we grieve in a way that um, sometimes it doesn't one hundred percent go away. So if you're you're longing for your your family, this woman has lost so much, your your friend. And the grief can just be there, and yet healing means like you're you're recognizing that loss, but your life is is expanding around that grief, and you're in, you know bringing in you know new you're having new experiences. There's there's still life, there's love, there's joy, and and the grief is still there because there's still that loss, um, and that that longing. Uh, And that, that really is okay. And that's a sign, you know, of of healing and being human. Um, The tagline for the young gifted and black is a journey of lament and celebration. And so that really is life. It's like, we're holding both of those. There's, there's lament and there's celebration. And we often get into trouble when we try to do either, like either one needs to be separated. Like we, we need to just be just, you know, celebrate positive all the time and, positivity yes is important and joy absolutely and joy is is really a good definition of where kind of where we need to be it's not really based on circumstances like we can be lamenting and still being able to find joy in our lives every single day because it's all around us And god is constantly speaking um through his word and through other people and experiences
0: mm-hmm. wow that is so good and Here's another thing I witnessed in the United States and possibly in the world. I'll tell you a story that I was impacted by that I just recently watched a movie about. Uh, But even as a kid, I remember... So I grew up in Mexico where everybody loves soccer or 90% or 99% of the population. And it's a big deal. And a couple of times, the World Cup has been played in Mexico. One being in... Uh, the seventies, and then one in nineteen eighty-six. So in one of those, there was this. I remember hearing about this super amazing soccer player named Pelé with oh, the yeah. Brazilian <laughs> team, right? Like a superstar. Uh, and I just recently watched the movie about Pelé and how he, you know, he he kind of grew up in in Brazil, and they were. African migrants that came to Brazil and almost a similar story to the U.S., right? They came and you know, they were the slaves at the beginning and they had their own uh, traumas that they had to heal to mm. and their racial tensions, right, between the team and things like that. And I love the term that <laughs> actually Pelé, I don't know what it means, but in the movie, um, it really, it's, a, it's almost like a demeaning word they're using for, for this guy, For little young uh, Edson Arantes, they're saying, Pelé, it's almost like, I, you know, you're bad. I don't know what it means, but it's demeaning. And his dad actually says, hey, everybody was chanting Pelé when you were scoring all these goals. And it was almost like this sense of like, we're going to use what they, almost like what the enemy meant for evil, right? Mm -hmm. And we're going to use it for good. And now everybody knows Pelé as Pelé. And Pelé was actually the term that, was meant to be uh the one hurting him and Mm -hmm. i think in a sense like he learned to take that and i mean with the help of his family and his dad but Mm -hmm. to take that and said okay you're trying to put me down i'm going to use this Mm -hmm. to overcome so all that to say uh you know when it comes to the young gifted and black it also seems like a lot of uh I I don't even like say using these words, you know, like black, white, uh, brown. I don't even know if I, I whatever, right? It's just me. Um, I like to say I'm just a Mexican guy, but when it comes to black people, I witness there's a lot of black people that do great, right? There's a lot of people that are successful. Is that because they overcame, uh, their their traumas or the tensions or that? Does privilege even apply? to, to other ethnicities. Uh, I I mean, can you help me maybe what, what do you witness in terms of that? You know, a lot of my favorite players from the U S are, you know, NBA stars. I'm like, they have a pretty good life, right? Uh, what do you think of that?
1: Well, you know what the reality though, is that, and, and they can attest to this, that the bottom line is as a black man walking on the street, um, driving in a car, um, walking through a mall, like no one's going to be like, well, who are, you know, maybe they'll recognize the person as an NBA player, but everyone, Oprah Winfrey, people have been profiled. This is not anything new. And so you can have, you can be high profile, but you know what? You, the reality is of what you, these people have had to endure in order to get to where they are, um, your hair would stand on end mm-hmm. <laughs> if you actually knew the whole story. And, and I think that there's a way in which we can look at those people and go, oh, you know, they, they're doing fine, so why aren't everybody else doing fine? And it's like, you know what, they are either have had the ability to process that and work through it, or they've stuffed it down and have just continued to carry on. And I think recently with like with Simone Biles particularly, but Naomi Osaka, they were ones who just said, you know what, my mental health, no, this being on, this relentless being on. And some of the stuff that they get from social media, the the attacks, it it ranges everything from their their identity, their looks, their body, their hair, their, you know, to be shredded. Um, And not only that, you know, the reality is, yeah, they will have someone ask them for ID when they're gonna buy something in a shop or these little microaggressions that seem like, oh, that's not a big deal. But the reality is that those microaggressions and, and psychology has, research has shown like enough of those microaggressions are there have more impact and more damage than some big, huge catastrophic event because it's relentless and you don't know when it's gonna happen. Um, You literally could be walking down the street. You could be driving your car, doing nothing wrong and have something occur. And so, um, you know, I have in many instances of walking and then suddenly someone yells the N-word out of a car. Um, I've had been denied, you know, service in a place. Uh, So, you know, and, and I would fit that demographic if you were to look at me, look at my life. Yes, I have an advanced degree. I've been able to travel. And it's like, yeah, you're successful. Why isn't everybody else like that? And I'm saying to you that we've experienced it. And mm. one thing that I do share in um, Young Gifted and Black was just this sense that it doesn't matter whether the person is biracial, whether they're an immigrant coming from an African country or somewhere else, um, or the African-American, you know, you can come from another country and your charming accent is not what people are going to be looking at. When you're walking around in a white community or you're in a, a student in an Ivy League college, and then someone's questioning whether you should be in the lounge area, um, or you, why are you grilling in this park, or why are you bird watching? Um, so, all of that is to say, where we are experiencing it, and yes, some of us have more resources to deal with it um, and to be able to persevere, um, or we just push it down and try to keep it keep it moving but it affects our bodies Mm. um, and it affects our minds and it affects our relationships
0: Mm. wow wow there's i i have so many more questions still uh this is i'm learning you know as i'm i'm getting to hear your story and i read the book and i feel like part of what i want to do like i said you know i feel like this is personal and this is intimate but at the same time, um, I think I, I, you know, what I've witnessed in the U.S., I feel like, how can I be part of the, of the healing for this nation, you know? So even when I think of the future of the nation, uh, so two questions come in mind. One is, when, as it relates to activism, is, is violence ever okay when it comes to activism, especially if you're in a healing process? So I mean there there's something to that but then then there's also let's say in the future you know reparations have been made uh you know the the black community maybe in America feels like okay we we have earned our place right uh I almost feel like this this sense of like okay how do we how do we carefully know that the oppressed doesn't become the oppressor. I don't know if there's a place for that, right? But uh, I feel like at some point, you know, people, there's a difference between revenge and repair, right? Yes. Uh, So what do you think of those, you know, like violence when it comes to activism and then the future being um, really healing and not, you know, okay, now because of all that I've experienced, now I just want revenge or payback from what happened to us.
1: You know what? I understand why people would be upset and violent. Um, You know, as a believer and as a therapist, I don't think that violence actually solves anything actually at the end of the day. Um, I think at the end of the day, what ends up happening is that it really gives the oppressor an excuse say, you know, because revenge has been exacted then it's an excuse for them to then go back and take revenge. And so we're into this vicious cycle of revenge in order for something to happen. We, there has to be some direct intervention in terms of God um, in on the hearts of people and how we treat one another. You know, how do we uh, honor the image of God in people? And that's something that we we need to, to really figure out how to how to do that um so yeah i don't i don't think that i don't think violence is the answer i just don't i don't think biblically it's the answer
0: wow that's so good so i love how you're saying you started you know by saying the the imago day and so the image of god in all of us and how we can see that in the other yes right and even when, you know what, one thing yeah. I wanted
1: to just correct, too, in terms of violence, uh, you know, in the Old Testament, there was lots, a whole lot of violence. Mm. So I'm going to, yeah. So I want to take it, when I'm talking biblical, I'm, I'm really talking about more rooted in the Jesus and his character and his, the way in which he modeled, mm. um, you know, confronting people. And there were moments when he got angry and he did, mm-hmm. you know, the yeah through the tables tables, yeah 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 so uh, yeah so i get that part you know and it was in the house of god so um that level of it was interesting that a lot of his uh, verbal like really strong statements were really directed at the religious establishment Mm. like he actually had much more of a kinder gentler um for the most part with people that he encountered Mm-hmm. Um, and it, yeah, and so I think we have to really be prayerful about how are we going to respond mm-hmm. in terms of activism. And we we absolutely protest, yes. Um, deal with the laws that are in place, serve those who are disenfranchised, and and help to empower people. All of that um, we we need to be doing.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so I love that you brought the topic of scripture, because like I was saying, and I wanted to tackle it a little bit because uh, Proverbs 12, right? It says, work hard and become a leader, be lazy and become a slave. And even as you were mentioning in the book, almost like this misconception sometimes, and you called it microaggressions, right? To think of like, oh, because of the color of your skin is a particular tone. You are a lazy person, right? You don't work as hard as the other people. You don't have the same results of the other one. And I mean, right now I'm reading a piece of scripture that maybe even people could could uh, manipulate into saying, you see, this is right here. This is, I mean, this is capitalism. This is how it works. And this is why it's good versus Exactly what you're saying. Some people can even take the other side of the you know, all the violence that's in the Old Testament and not have the lens of Jesus, and say therefore justice can only look like, you no, know, fighting for our rights, right? And if that means we gotta take it to violence, you no, know, so be it. So I like, how do you feel about people maybe even manipulating scripture for either or? Right. For either side. You
1: know what? There's like t- tons of you're in the Old Testament around that particular proverb. And it's a proverb, which means like a couple of words. OK. There are a multitude of scripture that talk about dealing with the widow, the orphan, the alien, the poor, the disenfranchised, that that is a mandate from God in terms of justice. Jesus's comments to those who are like, well, we, when did we see you poor? When did we see you naked? When did we? So scripturally it weighs a lot heavily on dealing with the realities that people are being oppressed. So this is not about laziness. And I can attest to, in my family, many times where businesses were started and sabotaged. Mm -hmm. There were roadblocks that were put in. There was, you know, in terms of, Oh, we finally buy a house and this predatory lending. That's a part of it. There's redlining all of those. So those barriers, that's not about being lazy. I, I don't see any, black people who are lazy, I don't. And the reality that trope is ridiculous because frankly, if you look at how was this country formed who actually picked the crops, mm. didn't get a break, you know, had to deal with the trauma of family members being separated, et cetera, worked literally to their death to say that that group of people are lazy is absolutely absurd, it's absurd. Mm-hmm. And so I... You know, that scripture, I don't even see it in context. And someone could, if they want to try to pull that out, they could. But the reality is lazy people don't, you know, continue to push push on and persevere in the face of really huge barriers. And this is not just the 60s. I've had people say that to me, too. Well, it was the 60s and that was over. Since then, everything has been fine. No, everything has not been fine. So... Um, and I, I'm speaking from personal experience. I'm speaking as a person who has done the research. I know where the first the, the receipts are. <laughs> so. Uh, I know what's real and what's not. Um, so, yeah. Wow. Stop there.
0: <laughs> Oof. Wow. There's so much there. OK, so as we get to the end of the show, this is my takeaway and it was so helpful it was how you said that healing it's almost like a figure eight yeah um i love that i mean there's so much to that that just created a mental picture in me of um yeah the nature of walking towards healing the nature of even if you want to heal you cannot get stuck in one spot you gotta almost like you got to move to improve uh so it gives me hope as i think of my own journey of healing being in this nation for so long and sometimes feeling feeling i mean maybe the word is oppressed right maybe the word is feeling less than feeling like second class citizen um like all kinds of things that like you said, I have personally experienced and I know so many people have experienced and also the sense of healing communally. So how do we do that, right? So you talked about lament, you talked about repair. Um, So those were so good. So I guess to wrap up the episode, Sheila, I want you to go from blasphemous to divine. All right? So what that looks like is to summarize the episode from your vantage point. What is the most blasphemous idea that you can think of when it comes to healing racial trauma?
1: Most blasphemous. Um, well, I think that, um, I think it's not honoring the image of God and other people. Um, and because it goes against the scripture where the Lord says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. It's unequivocal. It's not, you know, it's no, um, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and it says that actually all of the law, the prophets, everything is summed up in that. If you actually are doing that, it, wow. Mm-hmm. So then we're at the holy, the crown.
0: Emoji. Yeah, we're almost, we're, we're four to get to that one. So the next one is the skeptical. What, where do you see skepticism still played out? Or what are you skeptical of when it comes to healing racial trauma in the United States or even in the world? Um, you
1: know what? I, I I'm skeptical when. When the conversation shifts away from healing, away from the need for, for justice and reconciliation um, and it's focusing on nonsense like critical race theory, then I really am skeptical of, um, of the church primarily because the world doesn't really seem to care to a certain extent. That's not even true because I've seen it recently mm-hmm. where the world is talking about it. It's just ridiculous. So um, that leads me to be skeptical of, okay, can change actually happen? If people are so adamant in digging their heels in, mm. can change happen? I, I don't know. It's only but God. God needs to do something, really, to change people's hearts.
0: Mm-hmm. So where do you see inspiration or what inspires you?
1: You know, what does inspire me is that there are actual people who... Um, Want to see change? Who want reconciliation? Who want healing? Who are not afraid of looking at the past? Um, you know, and I had one person say, "Well, you know, when I look at that, I'm shame What am I supposed to do with that?" And it's like, you know what? Jesus died on the cross for that. Okay, for the shame that you're feeling that's bubbling up. He died on the cross for your shame. Now, what does he want you to do? Um, Now that you've let go of that as a barrier to actually doing something, what is it that he wants you to do? So that inspires me when people are thinking, thinking that through and and wanting to process it and are laying down and saying, yes, I want to be more than uh, an ally in terms of being engaged in performativity. Like, oh, I'm going to do this and it's going to look like I really care, but I really don't care. Um, But that people who really roll up their sleeves and are like, we as a church, as a body can actually be this prophetic witness to this country and the world that wow like jesus saves jesus heals jesus brings reconciliation Mm. um but that's going to mean we're gonna need to do something different we're gonna have to change
0: Mm -hmm. and i think you're moving into holy ground so what is the holiest idea you can think of when in our healing from racial trauma
1: um, you know what, I think that if we uh, that scripture that I, you know, my reference to loving God loving our neighbor as ourselves um, I feel like that really is, is like the core of it all. I think that if we actually live from that space a, a lot of things would change um, even just in terms of how do we engage our families, our friends, our workplace, this world, the choices we make, even around the environment. Even um, you know, we're dealing with a lot of gun violence and like some of the decisions that we would make would be vastly different if we actually lived from that place and that we knew that we have access, that same power that rose Jesus from the dead is in resident in us. So it's not about pulling ourselves up and making ourselves do that. Like we actually have, we can tap into resources and power to be able to, ch- to change and to do something different. But we have to want it. We've got to want to change.
0: Wow. So good. All right. And lastly would be the divine emoji, but this is what I want to do for the divine emoji. I'm almost going to like put words in your mouth. Not really, but... I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is what I want to do. You know how in your book... At the end of the chapters, you have like a little bit of breathing exercise and affirmation. Would you do that for us with our divine emoji? OK.
1: <laughs> OK, well, there are different things that I um, I do listening prayer and also breath prayers. And um, I think I'm just going to do a little short listening prayer. Mm-hmm. And um, so we'll just pray. So, Father, God, I I thank you, Lord, um, that you're constantly speaking, you're constantly uh, meeting us exactly where we are at. And I I thank you that we can come to you, as your word says, boldly before your throne of grace in our time of need. Um, And we can share what is on our hearts, but we can also hear from you. And so I pray right now Lord, the listeners have they've heard this message, um, this interview, what exactly would you want them to hear? And whether it's a word or whether it's a scripture verse, um, and even a memory that you might want to surface. Just take a moment to listen. The still small voice of your Holy Spirit, saying, "This is the way, walk ye in it." Amen. You know what? And and. I would just say to folks, if you want to continue to listen, continue to, sometimes it's not even in that moment, it's very short um, prayer, but as you're going about your day, even today, just keeping an eye on what is the Lord wanting you to, and maybe it's about racial trauma, maybe it's about being young, gifted, and black, maybe it's not even about that, but he is speaking, and so, um, you know, what is he saying through his word? your experiences to other people mm,
0: i love it i would say for me it's being middle aged gifted and mexican okay <laughs> okay is that okay oh no, yeah <laughs> all right okay <laughs> sheila this has been so good thank you so much for listening to me thank you so much for sharing a little bit of your knowledge your background um this has been phenomenal. Where do you want to point people to if they want to get to know you more, find your work?
1: So, I, I have a website, it's Um My email is info at com. I'm on social media Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, I do a lot on Facebook. It's mostly my activities on my personal page, um, but there's also the Sirene Movement page as well.
0: Yeah, love it alright Sheila can we dance it out to finish the episode my friends thank you so much for listening or watching this episode of Christian Podcast if you want to have your own emoji reaction visit us at christian.com podcast.com and choose your own emoji all right i'll see you guys on the next one make sure you like subscribe and share this episode with family and friends